Wow, it's been a while. It has been a long while. Yeah, I don't even know how to do this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you'll get the hang of it. Like riding a bike, Jay. Yeah. What have you been up to? I mean, you've been you've been more involved in the hobby than I have. And obviously, I've seen some of your recent work, and it's just, like, outstanding. I mean, you've just grown, like, leaps and bounds. So tell me what you've been up to for the past year. Yeah, so it's been interesting. We started the podcast wanting to look at kind of more in-depth into aquascaping. And I'd been doing it for a while, but I never considered myself an exceptional aquascaper. I mean, I knew... I knew more than I could actually put into practice, I think. But, uh, you know, after the podcast started going, I got in touch with other aquascapers, especially some folks in the U.S. here. And I looked at it more intensely, I think, uh, especially the competitive side of aquascaping. And not that I was terribly concerned with, you know, doing really, really well in contests or winning them. But I looked at it as a means of improving my aquascapes and to start really evaluating them and getting better. I think that's something a lot of us miss is the collaboration and the feedback and the work or and and seeing the other work of other highly motivated aquascapers because I think you have to be pretty motivated to want to do competition scapes. They do require more attention, more self-analysis and criticism and and lots of things and I open myself up to that. In doing so, I think we're all lifting each other up and we want to we kind of want to put North America on the map as far as aquascaping goes. Um, let people People know that there's some talent here there's some drive and passion for aquascaping you know this time around I, I kind of went in and invested more in hardscape uh, and has a better scale but for you in the competition what does that mean I mean I think it's somewhat the same as well using appropriately sized pieces and it's something I've learned a lot in the last year I remember helping someone put together a scape in 120 centimeter and I kept telling him, add more wood. You need more hardscape, add more, add more. And it was, you know, it's something a lot of people feel as they feel hesitant. They're like, yeah, it seems like too much. Are you sure? I said, keep going, keep going, add more bigger pieces. You need something bigger there. And so that, that's a big part of it. I think a lot of people use undersized hardscape. Um, they're too hesitant with it. And that was something I was doing even when I thought I was being more bold with it. That wasn't the case. And I did take some investment. It really does take a little bit of investment to get enough hardscape to match your uh, tank size. You know, it took me a long time to learn what kind of pieces of wood are effective in aquascaping. I'm not a huge fan of the spindly twiggy pieces of manzanita that spread all over. They're not u- that useful in aquascaping. They're, they take up a lot of room. They're hard to manipulate. They can only kind of be maybe arranged in one or two different positions. They are difficult to combine with other pieces. And the spindly stickiness doesn't, or a twigginess doesn't work for attaching moss to very well. Right. So I look for, you know, some pieces that have some nice texture, some interesting characteristics. You know, I like bends and turns and twists and things like that, but I don't need the you know, the, the sticks and the, the twisting and turning of the small branches as much. If I want those things, I just want little pieces of those I can add where I want them versus this big, huge, singular piece that has everything. 
right right absolutely and i was at the store the other uh, about a week ago or so getting my the the driftwood for this aquascape that i just did and you know i had in my hands these twiggy pieces just like you were saying but i had maybe a day or two before that watched you know i kind of binge watched uh george farmer's videos on youtube and i had this manzanita in my hand and I, and i just instinctively said even though my eye is drawn to this right now i know in the end i'm not going to like it as much just based on off of what i was watching from george so i put those back got some bigger pieces brought them home and it, it worked out way better so yeah to your point i agree with you <laughs> yeah and you know i think uh, another thing to along the the side of um, selecting hardscape is it does take experience to learn, you know, and to find good hardscape. And a lot of places, I think, you know, shopkeepers, and I hate to knock on shops, but in the U.S., there's not many that are great. There's a few that are good. They know what they're doing. They can get good supplies of hardscape. But for most places, it's, they, they don't know what they're, they're bringing in. And if it's as useful to somebody who wants to, you know, create a high-level aquascape. And you have to realize that if you want to excel, it, it does take practice and effort. And um, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with putting together a mediocre scape and enjoying the heck out of it. I mean, that's just fine. That's what uh, I and do. I think, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I was doing for years. Uh, and probably some would say still doing. You know, I think some of us feel that, you know, I got into this because of the plants. The plants was the thing that was really attractive to people when they look at aquascapes. And when they, they put in a lot of hardscape, they feel that they're starting to kind of betray that or leave behind the plants. And that definitely there is a spot where you just start to leave no space for plantings. But if you learn to use the hardscape in certain ways, you can make pretty effective use of hardscape while still allowing the plants to be um, the primary focus and the show points. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I have a 60U from uh, Boost Plant. I think you have that same same aquarium as well, but it's it's a little bit different than the 60 centimeter in that it has more depth. So even though, like for me, I did use a ton of hardscape here, but I had a little bit more room front to back for planting and that seemed to help out. That always helps, I think, you know, and that's one of the problems I think people experience when they first start, especially in the U.S. where, you I mean, most of the aquariums we see are still those black rimmed, tanks and it doesn't matter you know how much volume you get they just get longer and taller they don't get much wider um the notorious or infamous uh 55 gallon tank that's so common among people who enjoy fish keeping uh wanted a big tank and so that's what they get and then they get into aquascaping and they're trying to escape probably the absolute worst tank to escape ever uh, I mean, when I started, I started trying to escape a 37-gallon tall, which is just the weirdest dimensions. I mean, it's a tall tank. It's only 12 inches wide, 37 across, it, it or um, two and a half feet across or something like that. I can't even remember. I hate it. I put it out of my mind. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I was I was I didn't realize how much the tank was hindering what I was trying to accomplish. You know, I'm looking at all these scapes going, wow, these are great. I want to try and do something like that. And the dimensions are important. And that front to back depth is also really important. And it seems like we're kind of hovering around, you know, the same idea of getting the the right materials right from the beginning. And it just makes everything that much better, more enjoyable. driving out and you know it's it's pretty rural north dakota and i see this 
this big pile of it. I mean, this farmer had been clearing this stuff out of his field and this thing was probably like a seven foot tall pile of all these rocks and I almost stopped and was like, I gotta go through these. I gotta grab, you know, put two tons yeah. of rock in the back of my car. I'm actually gonna see if I can um, find a ton of petrified wood for um, maybe next year's IAPLC. Uh, so I'm really excited to see what I can find this this weekend. <laughs> Um, yeah, ab- absolutely. You <laughs> now you're becoming the very serious aquascaper when you're <laughs> pulling off the side of the road and pulling stuff into your car. <laughs> That's every road trip Hip Hong has ever taken. So what have you been what have you been planting lately? Now you you've, you're pretty well known for loving stems. Are you still running with stems? Are you experimenting with some other plants? What 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 are your staple plants that you've been using lately? Um, for me, there's always I mean, there's just always got to be a touch of color, and stems tend to do that. I love to play with color and textures, variations of greens, shades of of things. That's kind of my planting style. So I do stick with stem still. I have tried to restrain myself. Every time I try to do a tank that's totally minimalistic with just some hair grass and maybe one or two other plants, I get so bored with it. I end up putting stems or something else in there. I can't do it. I've tried so hard. If I had to pick my favorite plant, it's going to be probably Rotella's because there's a ton of varieties, a ton of colors in them, and they grow really pretty easily. I think what I'm what I'm realizing is, and I've said this in the past a lot, that aquascaping photography seems to be the hardest type of photography for me for some reason. And this, this might sound funny, but I think I'm realizing that I'm actually taking the correct photograph. It's just my aquascapes aren't that good. <laughs> so I get this weird illusion that I must be taking the photograph wrong, but in reality, it's just the scape isn't that good. <laughs> but given that the scape is set up correctly and is set up well to be photographed and we've talked about that in prior episodes where you know things look different two-dimensionally so when you're creating an aquascape you're designing it so that it can be viewed both in a 3d space and a 2d space so given that all of that is in play the two major things are lighting and i think the second thing that's incredibly important is color so getting that white balance nailed correctly Uh, is really important because everybody kind of sees color slightly differently. So it's kind of a numbers game sometimes. Yeah, I think it's that's the most important thing is making sure that your setup when you start photographing is as good as it can be, as as close to the real thing. um, So you don't have to worry about anything, you know, too much in post because there's only so much you can do and the camera can only do so much and you have to set up, set it up right to begin with. And it's easier said than done, but I'm learning and I'm getting better at it, I think. It's just the trick is getting enough light over that tank for me right now. I don't, you know, a lot of people make a big deal about fertilizing. I don't get worked up if I don't fertilize the tank for a week or two or three sometimes. Really? Yeah, I mean, there's times my fertilizer bottles run out and I don't refill them for like a month. No um, kidding. I don't see, and because I use a good substrate, I usually don't see any deficits from it. I've run both my last scapes in my 90 centimeter. I have this big auto doser because, like I said, I'm not the best at dosing every day. Um, so that was a way to get around that. And sometimes when that runs out, it takes a bit more time to kind of fill it up and do all of that. And, and life gets busy and, and I don't always get it done. So it can sit empty for, you know, a month or two months sometimes. And I've ran the tank deficient 
to the point where my mosses are starting to get a little pale. Um, the greens are getting a little pale. And that's when I really know I've pushed it kind of to its limits when the things like that are happening, when the mosses get really pale. But I don't worry about it because I just can resume dosing and things perk right back up. You know, the plants are, are more resilient than we give them credit for. It doesn't mean we need to, you know, try and push them to that point. But also, I think a lot of the problems when people are worried about problems in their tank and they're focused on dosing, you know, four parts per million instead of two or these types of things. If you have a good substrate, I mean, that minutia, those little details in fertilizing aren't likely your problem. I think that's funny is people don't realize that. And, and I probably am uh, an anomaly there as far as the laziness and dosing but i just don't think it's as important as everybody makes it out to be yeah and it's probably true to a certain extent to much of what we're doing if you get the basics down and you're kind of meticulous or not you don't even have to be meticulous if you're just uh dedicated to keeping this the your maintenance going and and taking care of things the correct way and co2 and everything's kind of dialed in you have some room for error and it's not going to really make that much of a difference yeah exactly you have room for error as long as you're doing doing some of those big things right and fertilizing it's important it needs to be done like i said if i'm not doing it for so long i start to see very plain signs of deficiency but it doesn't crash the tank things don't die and it's easily recoverable with just resuming dosing all right cool i say we wrap up there all right jay all right that's it for today's episode thanks again for joining us you can check us out at aquascapingpodcast.com you can listen to all the shows and interviews on itunes as well as stitcher radio check us out on youtube and like our facebook page have a great week everybody we'll see you next time 